text line by line, but keep the whole text in, in mind if, you, if you're wondering where I am, just go back into the text, open it again, just look at it. Um, but the, the, what I want to work through is these three kind of chapters or ideas is, number one, the power of words, number two, words and character, and number three, uh, this idea of just say the word. Um, do you know, just a little bit of uh, trivia around words, do you, guess how many words we say a day? On average, seven to eight, Josh. <laughs> and how many emojis do you send a day? Thumbs up, about 1,400. <laughs> um, anyone guess more than seven or eight? I promise you, you could beat Josh fairly easily. A thousand? Two thousand? Eight thousand? And a hundred. Sixteen thousand on average. Sixteen thousand words a day. Men, how, how much less words do you think men say than women? <laughs> 16,000 less? <laughs> no, about 500 less than women. How many unique words do you think you say out of 16,000? How many of them do you think is a unique word? Like, if I just said, hi, 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 it's just one unique word. So, different words. 210. <laughs> That's a very small vocabulary, Sha. <laughs> wow. Although you, what's that? 150. Um, no, 800. About 800 unique words. Your vocabulary is a lot bigger than you think. What do you think is the word you say the most on average? No, not what? What? Sorry? Like? Yeah. And he was like, and then I was like. <laughs> <laughs> also, <laughs> cheese. What's that? <laughs> Jesus above all others before me. There you go, King's Cross disciple. Truly, okay. I'll just tell you, it's the word the. Um, what do you think is the word most spoken in the whole world, in any language? Mandarin is not. Mine. Mine, 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 yeah. And it's also not dad, 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 dad. Hello? No. Hello too. I, no. Someone was saying something. Love, no. No. I'll, I'll tell you, it's okay. Uh, pretty, okay. <laughs> um, English is the language most spoken in the world. And one of the most difficult words, I just thought this was curious, one of the most difficult words to say is the word rural. <laughs> say that ten times fast, real quick. <laughs> My jaw's hurting just hearing, hearing it. So rural, rural is a very hard word. It must be maybe in a different language. In Australian, rural is pretty easy to say. Um, but anyway, that's it. I want to just talk a little bit about the power of words, and you're going to see why through this text in, in a minute. Um, I learned this lesson about the power of, the, of words through a way that I, I regret and probably will regret till the day that I die. It, it was a lesson horribly learned. We moved to a new city, and um, I was a 17-year-old teenager and uh, made a whole bunch of friends. We had this new group of, well, they were an established group, but I was new to this group, and we had this, so I had this new group of friends, and um, there, was, there was one girl in this group who was accident prone, and um, I, I, without thinking too much, uh, gave her the nickname or the moniker uh, Dumb Chick. 
which is terrible. And, and it was um, in a Christian context. And I mean, I, in other words, I was a Christian and loved Jesus. And, but we're still able to think of that nickname for my new friend. And it caught on like fire. And uh, that became a name. She, was, she just made so many accidents. But she was actually very, 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 very intelligent. She was super intelligent. It's kind of the, you know, the, the, the kind of nutty professor makes mistakes because they're so smart. She, she was that kind of uh, person is that kind of person, and um, it caught on, and what, what started happening was, she began to flesh it out, she began to, she began to act dumber, um, she was blonde, blue eyes, and started to kind of flesh out this, this kind of dumbness spoken over her, and I remember seeing it vividly, and going, in my heart, feeling grieved, and going, oh God, I'm so sorry, this is terrible, and we dropped the nickname, started calling her by her proper name, and, and soon, the, the nickname dissolved, and so did what was coming out of her. But, but the word spoken became flesh. Just say the word, and it became flesh. The Alcohol Drug and Drug Federation uh, says this in their research. They say, individual experience of life is influenced by the words of those around them, even the tone of words used of, of those around them. In other words, they're saying... Just say the word, and the word will become flesh. It will become the lived experience of the people around, them, around you. Research shows um, that words can change your brain. I don't understand this research super well, but I'm going to give it as best as I understand it. But if you can hold positive words, um, the front part of your brain is stimulated, and eventually over time, it can have the effect, uh, change your po- give you a more positive um, view of yourself, a more positive perception of yourself. You kind of hold this positivity toward yourself, and eventually it affects your brain. Um, conversely, holding negative thoughts towards yourself uh, or negative thoughts can affect you as well, and you can have a negative self-perception and grow that uh, towards yourself. And so you become cynical, um, suspicious, difficult to trust people because you've formed something in your thinking. And so just think the word and the word will become flesh. Where did this power of words come from if this is true? Well, right in the beginning, we find that God creates the world and He creates it with His, with his words. In the beginning, God created everything. We often say God created everything out of nothing, but it's entirely not true. God created everything out of His words, and His words aren't nothing. His words are everything. God created everything out of something more than everything, which was His words, and He spoke life into being, and everything was created through the words of God. God said the word, and His words became flesh. And then God gave Adam and Eve this kind of word power in creation, not the same as God, because we're not God, but as image bearers of God, they had a, a resemblance of this word power. And so God said, whatever you name things, that's what it will be. And that's a bit of what I experienced with my friend. Uh, to this day, just so you know something more of the end of the story, we're great friends today, uh, and there's no residual uh, harm done. It's just my own remorse burning up inside. Um, but God gave us this, and, and Adam and Eve went about, saw things, Whatever they named it, that was. Adam and Eve said the word, and the word became flesh. There was this sort of power that they had in creation. In opposition to this, Satan comes into the Garden of Eden, 
and He brings words of destruction, still words. He doesn't bring a thing or an action. He brings words and He says, did God really say? His words are to question God's words. The very nature of sin, the very nature of destruction, the very nature of death is words that question God's words or oppose God's words. That's where the power lies. And Satan got them to believe a word contrary to God's word, so they believed Satan's word and destruction came into creation. Sin came into creation. The word became flesh, did God really say? And so today uh, we have cynicism, we have doubt, we have unbelief, and we have all sorts of words in our lived experience. I'll say some of them, and, and hopefully these don't ring close to home, but these are words that just float around uh, through our co- uh, conscience. You're not good enough. You're useless. People are just tolerating you. You're dumb. You're a waste of space. You're worthless. No good at anything. Ugly, unwanted, slow, fat, thin, too tall, too, too short, too many mistakes, too late. You'll never change. These, these are just words that stand in opposition to God's Word to have an effect on our lives and the lives of those around us. And the words that, when believed, cause great destruction in the lives of those who, who hear them. The power, that's the power of words. The power of words causes life and death. What about words and character? What connection does wor- do words have to the character of the one speaking them? I want you to help me here. I'm going to, say, I'm going to, give you, I'm going to describe someone. I don't want you to give me the name of the person. I want you to give me the name, the description, so uh, I think you'll understand what I'm, I'm saying. So when I say this word, don't then say, Mark, for example. Say what I'm des- the character I'm describing. A person who consistently shows up late to something, they said that they'll be at, how, what would you call them? Unreliable, that's the word I have. What did you say, Josh? Tardy. Tardy. Their character is unreliable. A person who says something that is not true is a liar. You guys are great at this. Keep going. A person who makes a vow and then breaks it. Dishonest. Unfaithful. A person who talks about themselves a lot is self-centered. Narcissist. Proud. What is it? You say proud. Fame. Vain. Vain. Okay, that covers a lot. A person who tells others what to do, bossy, controlling, dictator. A person who speaks harshly to others, mean, cruel, abusive, critical. A person that speaks poorly of others behind their back, gossip. You guys are speaking about something behind our backs. <laughs> Got a gossiper? Is it something else? Pardon? Backstabber? Cowardly? A person that just speaks poorly of others in general. Did someone say jealous? Oh, yeah, jealous. Insecure. A person, a person who always complains. How would you describe them? <laughs> what did you say? Ungrateful. Ungrateful. 
Grumpy? Negative. Negative. Okay, so you see how what I've tried to show you is how a person's words are connected to their character. There was a description of what the person is like merely by the way they're living according to their words. What you've heard them say, and then you've looked upon their life, you have a description because of their character. In other words, words are totally connected to the character of the person. If there was someone unreliable who promised you something, you may not hold your breath for it. So you're not, listen, you're not really listening to their words, don't really have power for you, because their character is unreliable. If a liar tells you a story, you might not believe it, because of their character, not their words. You heard their words, but, but their words aren't connected to a character with any substance. Right? It's like words and character, you can't separate. So, Paul's, uh, sorry, Jesus says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. You can't separate the words of a person from the heart of the person. And in, in the scriptures, the heart is like the center of a, a person, like their, their, their will and their feelings and their thoughts and who, what makes them them. That's the heart. And so the character of the person can't be separated from the words of the person. That's what, that's, let me move on. So words of weight according to the character. So any good characteristic a person can have is only possible because we are image bearers of God and God is the only good. God is all good. God is the only one with all good character. He has no bad character. His character is perfect and holy. It's just And and any good that we can have is because as image bearers of God, we can have little snippets of what God is like. So we can show kindness or generosity um, or compassion or empathy because ultimately God is the source of this. So God is said to be omnibenevolent. It's one of His characteristics. None of us are omni-anything. God is omnipowerful. It means He can do anything. God is omniscient. That means He knows everything. And God is omnibenevolent, which means He's supremely good. None of us are supremely good. Uh, We're not so much yin-yang. We're just more not good with some good left in us because we're image bearers of God. Um, And so all good comes from God. That's His character. That's His nature. And so when we think about words and character not being able to be separated... We think about how powerful and meaningful God's words are because of His character. Because God's words can't be separated from His character. And if God is omnibenevolent, He's supremely good, then whatever He says can never be a lie, can never be unreliable, can never be untrustworthy, has to be powerful, has to be true, because that's His character. And, and suddenly His words have a lot of power, or should have, in our lives. And so God's heart, as Jesus says, that the words that proceed from our mouth reflect our heart, come from our heart. God's heart is revealed by God's words. And so we find out in Scripture, the Word became flesh and revealed that God wants to save. That's what John says about Jesus when John describes uh, creation. So So God has spoken everything into being. And then John wants to tell us how Jesus has come into the world, how God has entered the world as a man. And John says... The Word has become flesh. The character and nature of God is entering the world, livening the flesh, and whatever Jesus says 
is going to be the words of God. What is it that we find out God wants to do? God wants to save. God wants to redeem. God wants to reconcile. God wants to heal. God wants to bring life. God wants to bring hope. God wants to bring joy. Let's go to the third part, the centurion. Just say the word. Over here, we'll think about the story a little bit more. So, word, so the power of words, words and character, the, the necessity for character. What about just say the word? What was the centurion like that was dealing with Jesus? I'm going to tell you four things he was like and then why from the story. What kind of man was he? Because we, we want to find out what kind of character he has. Um, number one, the centurion was a great man. He was a centurion. He wasn't an Israelite. He probably wasn't a Roman. But he was not a, 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 he wasn't Jewish. He wasn't, he wasn't raised in the synagogue. But he was a great man. A centurion, he, as a centurion, he would oversee 100 uh, soldiers, 100 men, Roman men. And they were paid 50 to 100 times what the lowest paid soldier was paid. So in today's economy, if you look at the lowest a soldier could earn in the Australian Army or Defense Force, uh, he would be paid 2.5 to $5 million. It's a pretty good salary. He's a great man. He was a great man because he had great power. He was a great man because he had great influence. He was a great man because he had a great amount of uh, money, wealth. So by all kind of worldly standards... The centurion was a very great man. Number two, he was a kind man. So he had at least a hundred men beneath him, yet one servant managed to capture his heart. This is a man who can find a servant anywhere. Yet one sick servant is enough for this man to bend over backwards to go find some way that he can get healing for his servant. He cares about this one servant. He has so much responsibility, so much power, so much wealth, but he cares about this one servant. He has compassion. He's a kind man. He's a humble man. The centurion's very influential friends are sent to Jesus. The, the elders of the synagogue, uh, the, the kind of, they're not, they don't have kind of uh, ceremonial roles in the synagogue, but these are, these are the important people. These are the people who kind of stand at the gates and, and judge for the Israelites, and kind of their word is ultimate. And these are very important people within the Israelite family, and they are the ones sent. He has very high up friends, and they go to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, come and heal this man's servants. He is worthy, Jesus. He's a worthy man. Jesus, He loves the nation of Israel. Jesus, He, he allowed us and, and paid for us and sorted out a way to build our synagogue. Jesus, this is a great man. He's so worthy. Please heal His servant. We could have a sermon about, the, the, we could have a sermon about them. They're standing in front of Jesus. More concerned about the greatness of the centurion. They're not saying, Jesus, you're a great man. You can heal him. They're saying, Jesus, he is worthy, so please do that thing you do. How easy I find myself like that. I want Jesus, on God to answer my prayers for people I think are so worthy. God, they're so good. God, they've sacrificed so much. God, you see what they've done for your kingdom. God, you see their heart. 
as if something in someone's greatness is going to go, oh yeah, they're more worthy, I should do something nice for them. As opposed to seeing who we're standing before, seeing who we're asking. And word gets back to the centurion that this is the message that they've received and, and he sends a second party. I don't know when you've read this story if that's ever intrigued you. Why does he send a second party? The message was loud and clear. They were very influential, eloquent people. The message was heard and received. Jesus was responding. But I think he was embarrassed. Because he sends a second group and now it's friends. Because the, the important people have now gone. Now it just sends another group of his friends go. And they go to Jesus with this message. Jesus, I am not worthy you have things to do. Do not come. I'm not worthy to even have you come under my roof. Do you remember Jesus? Jesus is homeless. This, this is a high up man. Jesus doesn't have, he's got no place to lay his head. By all the world's standards, this guy's here, Jesus is here. But this guy sends a message, hey Jesus, I heard my friends and what they said, I'm embarrassed. I'm not a worthy man, please don't, please don't come. I'm embarrassed. I am, I'm not worthy. And, and then he was a confident man. So he's a humble man. He knows who he is before Jesus. He's not negative. He doesn't have a bad self-perception. He just knows who Jesus is. He can just see how great Jesus is. And he can just see himself in light of Jesus. And he can honestly say, I am not worthy. And then he's a confident man. He says, just say the word. He says, I know how authority works. I'm under authority and I'm over authority. And I know you say do and they go do. Listen to what he's saying. When you speak with the certain character, so the centurion's talking about the, the, uh, someone who has authority, when someone with authority, a position, but also the character that goes with that position speaks and people hear it, they do something. They respond to it. It has power in their lives and they respond to it. And he goes, Jesus, you have so much authority. Your character is of, of, the, of this nature that's out of this world. I might say to a hundred Roman soldiers, do and they will do. You can say to sickness, go and it will leave. Just say the word. Don't come. I'm not worthy, but just say the word, and whatever you speak, it will be obeyed. And it says that Jesus is amazed by this man. I doubt that in my 40 years I've amazed Jesus ever, but I would love to. Wouldn't you love to amaze Jesus? I don't think he's hard to, I mean, I don't think Jesus has this like high bar where it's hard to amaze him. It's pr pretty simple. There's this one way that he's often amazed, and it's faith. He's amazed by faith. In fact, the scriptures say obedience is better than sacrifice. He's not amazed by things we uh, dutifully lay down and go, I give this up for you, Jesus. Are you amazed? No, I wasn't really asking for sacrifice. I, but if you could just um, obey me, that would be amazing. Obedience is better than sacrifice. The centurion knew, he's a confident man, just say the word and it would become flesh and his servant would be healed. And he was. 
Just say the word, and the word became flesh. Two things happened. The centurion, the centurion's word amazed Jesus, and Jesus' word healed the servant. What a dialogue. Not really a dialogue because they didn't they weren't face to face, but what a word exchange. The words of the centurion, not an Israelite, not yet a believer in the, the gospel hasn't even happened yet fully. His words amazed Jesus. That we have the ability with our words to amaze our Lord and our Savior. And that his words back bring healing. Divine, supernatural, powerful change of life circumstances without even being present in the room. Why do you think Jesus was amazed by the centurion's faith? Don't answer that because I'm going to give you the answer and I, I hope if it's not the same as mine, I just want mine to be heard. <laughs> Why would Jesus, Jesus be amazed by the centurion's faith? There's, there's probably a lot of reasons, but the reason I want to say is is this one this morning, that the centurion believed without seeing Jesus. There's no record in any of the Gospels that the centurion was ever present at anything Jesus did, that they ever met, that they ever crossed paths. What we know is that word about Jesus got to the centurion, and somehow that was enough to convince the centurion about Jesus. If you're like me and, and you're interested in amazing Jesus with your life, how can we amaze Him? Well, have you ever seen Jesus face to face? No? Me neither? Are you in a different position than the centurion? Probably a better one. You know the gospel. You've received the Spirit. I mean, that's at least two massive upgrades on what the centurion... You've, you've read the Scriptures. You know the stories. In other words, you have what it takes. I have what it takes. The question is, can we believe for Jesus to move upon our lives without seeing Him? There's the centurion's faith... I don't need to see you. You don't need to be present. I know who you are. Just say the word and it will become flesh. And then there's the Pharisee faith. Show us a sign. We'll believe if you show us. Prove it. Jesus, help me out here. I want to believe. But can you just help me across the line? Jesus is never amazed by that. Jesus is always amazed by this. And, and it's that simple thing of without seeing, can we trust the character and nature of Jesus and therefore the words that He speaks? You know, ultimately, Jesus is the great, the great man. It's not the centurion in the story. He's the great prince. So, yeah, this Roman soldier had a hundred... Uh, this centurion had a hundred soldiers, but Jesus has all creatures in all creation, the angels, the seraphim, praising Him in heaven. He's the great man. 
He's the one who's, who is the Word that became flesh, the Word that spoke everything into life, the Word that was powerful and, and was the created power for all things. Jesus is the Word become flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Prince, the great Prince of Heaven. But Jesus is also this kind Lord. He's greater than the kind centurion. Jesus is the kind Lord. He could speak another thousand worlds into existence. He could start over again and again and again. It would take Him nothing. He's, remember, He's omnipotent. He's not spent at the creation of galaxies. He speaks and it can be done. He could do it a thousand times over again. Anything an artist creates the first time is never the best. You've got to create and create and create and create and create and create until eventually you get to your masterpiece. Except for God. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go, oh, I'll do a do-over. I'll try again. Jesus is concerned about the one servant. He has far more ab ability and power, but He is this uh, kind Lord who is willing to die for one servant. For one disobedient servant. For one servant that's rejected him, servant. He's willing to die for the soldiers who are piercing his limbs, spitting on his face. Who are cursing him with their words at the same time. What does he say with his words? As they're cursing him, he says from his cross, Father, forgive them. He's the kind Lord that's concerned about every one of His servants. There's not a single one that's out of His mind. It's not important enough to Him. He's the humble servant. He puts on flesh and takes up the cross. Jesus can't appeal to anyone greater. He can't send friends to someone to say, you know, this guy is so worthy. He does all this stuff. Please help he has no one higher to appeal to. He is the highest of all, and yet he puts himself in the position of a sinner. And he's crucified. <coughs> but he's also the confident redeemer. And as he's raised to life, he declares that he has power over life and death. He has power to forgive. He has power to redeem. He has power to call people into His kingdom with His words, with His words that are backed by His character and nature. He says, I have the power to save. I and I alone. Come to Me, all you who are thirsty. Come to Me, all you who are sick. Come to Me, all you who can see your need. Come to Me. If you see that you're poor, great, because I'll give you My kingdom. If you see that you're hungry, great, because I'll make sure that you're always satisfied. If you see that you're sad, great, because I'll give you eternal joy. Come to Me. If you think you're okay, oh, woe to you. He's the confident Redeemer. And so, while we might be saved through faith in Jesus, Jesus wants us to continually be changed by faith in Jesus. He wants us to continue on believing His Word. If we believed His Word for our salvation, then will we believe His Word for our sanctification? In other words, if we believed that His Word over death 
is true and that He can give us eternal life, will we believe that His Word over our personality, over our circumstances, over our finances, over our jobs, over our marriages is true? Over our singleness is true? Over our children is true? Over our education is true? Does His Word speak over ours? Can we say, just say the Word and your Word will become flesh? Or we save now and we get, you know, it's okay now, we'll get on with our lives. There's a lot of words that we've got. A lot of words are becoming flesh in our lives. Jesus wants His Word to become flesh. The centurion never saw Jesus. He only heard Him of Him. But he still experienced the power of Jesus in his life. The story is there for us. That's what Luke says. He writes to Theophilus, I'm writing these things that you may be sure of what you've heard. The story is there not just so that we can put our kids to sleep. The story is there so that our faith can be boosted and we can be sure of the things that we have heard so that the Word of Jesus can become life in our lives. This is an opportunity for all to come to Jesus. As I close, today we're going, to, we're going to take a moment to pray. I get, I've got questions. Today, can we let Jesus' word become flesh? Can we let Jesus' word become flesh? Can we let him speak over spiritual death? Can we let him speak over sickness? Can we let Him speak over self-perceptions? Can we let Him speak over hopelessness? Can we let Him speak over fear? Can we let Him speak over mental health? Can we let Him speak over broken marriages? Can we let Him speak over our regrets? Every single day we're letting people speak over our lives. And every single day words are becoming flesh in our lives. And today I'm I'm asking, can we let His words become flesh? Will we let Him speak? Can we, like the centurion, say, Jesus, just say the words? Will you let His word become flesh? We're going to take a moment now, before we take communion, to cry out to Jesus to just say the word.